You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. After camp, Phil loved hanging out on Friday nights uh, with the Revive youth group. Um, all the teachers at Revive were pretty cool. All the leaders, are they pretty cool? Very cool. They're very cool. All right. All the guys are super fun. Guys are good? Yeah. Yeah, sort of. Uh, the girls, they're super friendly. Yeah. Pretty cute. Yeah. yeah. I'll work with you later. Okay. So he goes to the youth group for, for months. He's part of the group. But then after Christmas break, teacher Bianca, sister Bianca, notices, you know, hey, everyone's been back. We've been having youth meetings. But I haven't seen Phil. Where is he? It's been a week. It's been two weeks. Bianca tells all her leaders, hey, guys, text Phil. Tweet him. DM him. What else do you guys do? Instagram him. Facebook. No, you guys don't Facebook. <laughs> Snapchat him. Okay. Find out what's going on. We miss him. And they do. But Phil, no response. The one who invited Phil to, to camp, Caden, my son back there, they told him, go, go find out what's going on with Phil. And Caden told everyone, look, I don't think Phil's ever coming back to church ever again. And we were wondering why. Why wouldn't Phil come back to church? Well, it turns out that on New Year's Eve, Phil decided to go to a party with a group of other friends. And at this party, Phil got high, and Phil got drunk. Sorry. And <laughs> you know, <I'll> <laughs> And Phil, in his highness, is that how you call it? <laughs> they, uh, he and his friends. Uh, went next door and, and, and vandalized the house next door. They took all the Christmas decor, and, and they, they just messed up the house. And, and the police came. Phil got arrested, and he got uh, sent to juvenile detention for uh, the weekend. And so Phil's dad got so upset with him, made him feel even more guilty about what he did. And ever since that point, Phil uh, was feeling so guilty, so bad about what he did, he was so ashamed that he couldn't ever show his face at church anymore. No matter how many times our revived kids and the leaders tried to reach out to him, Phil never responded. He said he's not coming back. Meanwhile, Phil, he's feeling guilty because he's a Christian, right? He went to camp. He received Jesus. But even during that camp and even during his times at, at, at Revive, he wasn't really pursuing God. He was kind of just going just to go because he liked it, because he had fun on Friday nights. He didn't really pay attention during Bible studies. He didn't really listen to the sermons. But he did remember that whenever he was in trouble, it was important for him to read the Bible and pray. So that's what he did. He decided to crack open his Bible or his Bible app and just search, scroll, flip through it, 
pick a verse that might answer his problems. And he came across this one verse. Phil, could you read that verse? Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, after reading this verse, Phil was defeated. He thought to himself, well, I must not be born of God. Why? Because I sinned. And if this verse says, I cannot sin if I'm born of God, then I must not really be a Christian. So that means if I show up at church, people are going to judge me. If I show up at youth group, everyone's going to know what I did. And they're not going to want me there because I am a sinner. And so from that point on, Phil decided he's going to stay away from church. And his life took a turn in the wrong direction. He started hanging out with the wrong kids. He's failing his classes. He gets suspended from school. His life keeps getting messed up over and over again. And nothing could ever stop him from spiraling out of control. And so Phil's dad told him, I'm going to disown you. You're worthless. Of course, Phil's dad didn't go to church. But Phil just felt rejected and hopeless. And then one day, the youth group decided to go out for boba. That's what you guys do, right? You go out for boba. And they saw Phil in the parking lot. He's about to light up a joint. And they come up to him and say, Phil, we missed you, man. Why don't you come back to revive? And Phil just felt so ashamed. He couldn't look any of them in the eyes. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm so busy lately. I just got sidetracked. I don't think I'm coming anymore. But Bianca, with, with, with her tenderness, and she just really felt like this is the last chance she would have to try to talk to Phil. She went up to Phil and said, you know what, Phil? I want you to know that Jesus cares about you no matter what you've done. He loves you, and we'd love to have you come back to revive come back to church. But Phil couldn't help it. He just said, thanks, but you guys just don't know what I've been through. And this is what he said. Go ahead, Phil, read that. There's no way God could ever love me back, or take me back, sorry. There's no way God could ever take me back. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, pal. That's for you. That's not boba, that's froyo. All right. There's no way God could ever take me back. Could you relate to Phil? Can any of you relate to, 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 to messing up so bad or sinning to the point where you're like, I don't know if I should show my face in church today. I don't know if God can forgive me. What was Phil's response to his sin? His response was to hide. He didn't want to go back to youth group. He stopped talking to people who really genuinely cared about him. And he let his shame lead to isolation. And then Phil's dad, of course, belittled him and said he was worthless. And maybe Phil looked at the way his dad treated him and thought, wow, that's probably what, how God sees me too. Unforgivable. Unacceptable. And then to top it all off, he, he, he reads one verse out of context, and he, and he concludes that he is not a child of God. 
He's beyond redemption. And many of us here, I think young people can relate to this. They feel after they've done something wrong, something so bad, after their parents had told them, that was horrible what you did, they feel like they are beyond redemption. Unforgivable. And if they showed up at church, people would look at them and say, man, why are they here? Don't they know what they've done? You see, we've accepted this, this sort of false notion that church is only for good people and that Jesus can only handle, like, little sins. But if you, if you sin big time, if you messed up big time, don't even bother showing up in the presence of a holy God. How many of you, if you're being honest today, would say that you've made a mistake in this past week? Anybody here has made a mistake in this past week? You know, lying is a sin, too. <laughs> Anyone here has made a mistake in the past week? You too, Pastor Tell? Where are you, Pastor Tell? Yeah? Unbelievable. Why are you here? The good news is Christ offers us forgiveness, no matter what we've done. So here's our key thought for today. Our sin... Our sins cannot erase what Christ did for us on the cross. It's what Christ did for us on the cross that erases our sins. Phil, he read a verse, and that verse, the way he interpreted that verse, uh, he jumped to a conclusion that somehow his sins erased everything that Jesus did for him. Now, it would have helped if Phil knew he could ask questions. It would have helped if Phil felt free to say, I I need an adult to talk to. I need to process what I did with someone at church. It would have been a great opportunity for people in the church to reach out and and, and talk to Phil and, and help him to receive healing and forgiveness and restoration for what he had done. Because what Phil and what all of us need to learn is that God has and always been a God of mercy and grace. It doesn't mean sin will go unpunished. It doesn't mean sin will not have consequences. It doesn't mean that sin will not cause damage because sin has that negative effect on everyone and everything. But we need to understand that God has made it his mission to destroy sin. And he's made a way for us to overcome it through his son, Jesus Christ. Little kids, young kids, who's the only person that has ever existed who had no sin? What is his name? All right, where's my little kids at? They're supposed to be in here. Jesus, Jesus. That's right. If there's anyone who could ever say, I'm sinless, I'm perfect, there's nothing, there's no wrong I've ever made. It's Jesus. But for the rest of us, we are sinners. And the Bible is clear that all have sinned. 1 Kings 8, 46, there's no one who does not sin. Psalm 14, 3, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and 1 John 1.8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Some way, somehow, we have failed to live up to God's standards. That's what sin means. The word is hamartia. Say hamartia. That word means to miss the mark. It's an archer who is trying to hit a bullseye. He's aiming for the bullseye, and if he misses it, it's hamartia. It's a sin. And so for us, if we're aiming to live up and follow God's ways, if we're, if, if we're, if we're trying to live up to his standards and we fall short and we fail, it's sin. Now, back in the book of Genesis, God made and created Adam and Eve. And he gave them this command. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the standard. All the other trees you can, t- you can eat. Enjoy it. But don't eat from this tree. And what did they do? They ate it. That's right. They willingly ate the fruit. They made a choice that directly contradicted God's command. They sinned against God. And because of their sin, humans inherited a sinful nature that opposed God's ways. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, there's a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages or the penalty of sin is death. Death to the sinner. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't die right away. When we sin, we don't get killed right away because God gives us a way to be set free from the penalty of sin. That way of being set free is by substitutionary atonement. It's a substitute that, is, that dies in our place. In the Old Testament, what is that substitute? It's, a, it's an animal, a lamb, usually. The lamb is killed and offered as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice to atone or to, to, to make amends for the sin of the people. Now, we sang this song earlier. In the New Testament, God provided the perfect once and for all sacrifice for our sins, the spotless lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus was coming toward John, and John said, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so it's through Jesus and his sacrifice That's all we need to cover our sins today. Now, does that mean you and I will never sin again? No. But it does mean that Jesus died to forgive you and I for all the wrongs we've ever done in our past, all the wrongs we do today, and all the wrongs that we will ever do in our future. That is heavy. Would you forgive somebody for all the wrongs that they're going to do to you in the future? That's hard for us to even fathom. Why would I do that? What if you hurt me really, really bad? How can I forgive you? What if you're going, you, you're going to hurt me? I already know it. Why would I forgive you? But Jesus did that. Jesus forgave us past, present, and future. 
I like to look at salvation in three tenses. I've told this to you before, but salvation happens as past, present, and future. In the past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's called justification. Say justification. In the present, today, we are being saved from the power of sin. That's called sanctification. Say sanctification. And in the future, when Christ comes again or when we die and we're with him in glory, we will be saved from the presence of sin. That is glorification. Glor Say glorification. So, so Christ has saved us past, present, and future. And Paul tells us, because Christ has saved us, in Romans 8, 1 to 2, Jesus paid the death penalty for our sin, past, present, future. Paul tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Say, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So if you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ at one point in your life, if you made the decision to trust him as your Lord and your Savior, then you were justified. Your past sins have been paid for. The penalty for your sin is paid for. But not only your past, your present and your future sins. You are no longer under condemnation. There is no hellfire and brimstone in your future. There's no eternal death and suffering for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free, atoned, forgiven, saved. Jesus isn't going to, God's not going to punish you for your sins because Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice. Can you say thank you, Jesus, to that? But I sinned today. What's up with that? Every day we make choices, right? We wake up. We make choices. Do I want to walk according to God's ways? Or do I want to walk according to my own ways? Do I choose to live the way I used to live? Do I choose to live the way God wants me to live? Every day we need to be saved from the power of sin. We rely on the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we rely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In us, there's this waging war between godliness and self, selfishness or sinful desires. Peter, 1 Peter 2.11 tells us, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So every day we're in this battle between what God wants and what we want. And every day, until Jesus comes, we're going to have to struggle with the power of sin in our lives. Church, we're struggling right now with the power of sin in our environment around, in our, in our culture, in our communities. So God wants to use the church to be the ones who go out there and, and, and bring cleansing and bring healing to this lost world. But in our own lives, what if we what if we mess up? What if we make mistakes? Is there hope for me? Do I have to feel guilty all the time? Because sometimes we do. 
We can't help it. We just feel so rotten. We're supposed to be a Christian, but we don't act like Christians. And we feel bad about it. But God tells us, if we make a mistake, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is good news, everyone. I want you to read that with me together. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Do you really? Some of us beat ourselves up whenever we, we mess up. But do we re- so do we really believe that if we confess our sin, if we tell God, look, I've sinned, I am sorry, do we believe that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? We need to. But what if we keep on sinning? What about that person who, oh, they say they're a Christian, but I, I don't know. They keep on sinning because they think, hey, God's going to forgive me anyway. I can sin, right? Can I just sin because I can just pray the prayer and say, God, forgive me? Paul says, no. He says in Romans 6, 1 to 2, what, is, what do we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And I think that's what the verse that, that, that Phil read uh, really is trying to say. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. In other words, he doesn't continue in his sin. He doesn't practice sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin. It doesn't mean he'll never sin again. It means he is not continuing to sin because the righteousness of Christ is making him more like Jesus. Christians, you and I sin every day. But we don't want to make a practice of sin. We gotta hate sin. We gotta see our sin and hate it. And go, God, I need you. Jesus, I need your forgiveness right now. Some of us don't want to repent. We just want to be disobedient. If that's you, then I have to question. You have to question: am I really saved? Is Christ really living in me? Because I wanna sin. I want to do what I want to do. If you're continually rejecting God's ways, then you got to really ask yourself, am I a follower of Jesus? And if you confess your sins, can you hear me? He is faithful and just, and he'll forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So let's be quick to confess our sins and let Christ forgive us and show his faithfulness to us. Amen? Now, pastor, are you sure that Christ can forgive all our sins? What about the really bad ones? Name a bad sin. Amen. We'll get to that one. Before that one. Murder. Adultery. Anyone? Does, can Christ forgive these horrible sins? Yes and amen. King David was a murderer and an adulterer. Remember, he slept with Bathsheba, 
the wife of Uriah. And then when Bathsheba got pregnant, David orchestrated the death of Uriah in battle. So David was responsible for Bathsheba, adultery with Bathsheba, and the death of Uriah. But look what he says in Psalm 51 when he confesses his sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David's sins were forgiven. You guys heard of the Apostle Paul? He was a murderer too. He was a persecutor of the church. In Acts 7, Stephen is sharing the gospel. He's about to be killed by stoning. And Saul, the Apostle Paul, he is there approving of the killing of Stephen. And Saul was hell-bent on, on destroying the church. He went from house to house. He grabbed men and women. He dragged them to prison. He was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus. And Jesus met him on the road. Paul's life was radically changed. And instead of Paul going around trying to prevent the spread of Christianity, God used Paul as the main driving force to spread the gospel across the world. And in one of his last letters, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Is there anyone beyond the reach of Christ's forgiveness and mercy? Nobody. Paul knew he had an evil and wicked past. He didn't deny his sins, but he clearly understood the forgiveness of God. So if God can forgive Paul and David and uh, of murder and adultery and all these offenses. God can forgive our offenses and anyone's offenses, no matter what you've done. There's no offense that can separate you from the opportunity to receive God's love and forgiveness. But what about that one? What if I commit the unpardonable sin? Have you ever heard of that one? In Mark 3, 28 to 29, Jesus talks of a sin that is not forgivable. Before I get to that, a couple of months, I met one of the, the youth here at church. Um, and he was brave because he asked me a question. Pastor, what do I do if I think I committed the unpardonable sin? And I asked him, oh, well, you're not allowed to come to church anymore, right? No, I didn't say that. That's so messed up. I would have. I asked him, well, what do you think the unpardonable sin is? Why would you, why would you ask that question? That's, some, that's a way we would respond to you, right? A question with a question. Why, why do you ask that? What's going on? And he said, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm like, you're right. And I wanted to know what he, what he thought about that, how he understood the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so, in his mind, blasphemy meant cursing, cursing the Holy Spirit. And of course, what does cursing mean in our context here? Swear words. So in this young man, young boy's mind, he thought, oh no, I used a lot of bad words this week. Did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? What would you tell a child like that? What would you tell him? Now I know a lot of us, not a lot of us, some of us use um, questionable language at times. Anyone here? Forget it. You don't have to. We read your Facebook posts and your, you know, Instagram posts in staff meetings. No, we don't. <laughs> if I told you we read your Instagram posts in staff meetings, would that change what you post on Instagram? I hope it would, but we don't. We do pray for you all um, every time we see something and scratch our heads. Um, but no, I told this kid, I assured him that, you know, swearing... Using foul language was not the unpardonable sin. You shouldn't do it. We should watch our lips because they glorify God. How can it glorify God and, and curse others? Um, but that's another sermon. All right? But if you're scared today about whether or not you've committed the unpardonable sin, I assure you the fact that you feel convicted or scared is an indicator that you probably have not gone down that road. Because in this context, in Mark uh, 3, 28 to 29, and in Matthew, I believe Matthew 12, Jesus is talking, uh, or he's healing, and, um, and he says, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. So the blasphemy or the, of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable offense, is when Jesus is healing people and the, the religi religious leaders are accusing Jesus or they're saying the, the power that he's using to heal is the power of Satan. So when you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit as Satan's work, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think anyone is close to doing that, the fact that you are here today. Um, so I, if you just had a, a rotten thought about God, if you doubted God, that is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you offended somebody, that is not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But look, if you die and you never received the pardon, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then death is final. You have no way of getting your pardon. So in some respects, that is the unpardonable sin, is constantly rejecting Jesus and never allowing him to be your savior and forgive your sins. Some of us need to be forgiven today. Some of us need to be given, forgiven for the first time today and give our life to Jesus. He offers it to us today. You don't have to wait. We got three ways we naturally respond to sin. This is from Genesis chapter 2. 
Adam and Eve ate the fruit, their, their initial response was, we're going to hide from God. And what does God do? He comes and he looks for them. See, if we hide from God because we're guilty, God's reminding us, you don't have to hide. You can come to me. I want to have a relationship with you. Another way we respond to sin is we cover up our shame. Remember what Adam and Eve did when they, were, when they ate the fruit? They realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together. But what did God do? God said, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to kill this animal and make loincloths and cover you. And then I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross so that all your sins can be covered. And finally, we blame others. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's not my fault I got stuck in this situation. But instead of blaming others, we need to respond in humility and say, I humble myself before a holy God. I repent and I receive your forgiveness. Look at the way heaven responds to our sin. We hide in our guilt, but God calls us to come out of hiding. We cover our shame, and God says, I'll cover your shame, and I'll clothe you with righteousness. We blame others, and God says, I'm going to place the penalty of your sins on my perfect son, Jesus Christ. That is the forgiveness of sin. In John 8, you guys know this story. The people brought before Jesus a woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the act. That's crazy. And they brought her in front of Jesus. And they told him, our law tells us that a person caught in adultery has to be killed by stoning and Jesus writes on the ground. We don't know what he writes. And he says, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he wrote down on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Maybe he was writing their sins. And those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. I wonder why. Maybe they had more sins. And it was just Jesus and the woman. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? The woman said, No one's here. Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Jesus tells you today, I don't condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Thank you, Jesus. Can Christ forgive your sins today? Absolutely yes. Are you beyond his mercy and his love? No. You're right where he wants you to be. And if you want to receive his forgiveness today, I invite you.
to do that right now. Would you stand with me? Some of us need to pray a prayer of salvation, to make Jesus our Savior and our Lord, to receive his forgiveness today. We're going to take communion in a moment. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.